You are listening to The Airing Cupboard, the podcast where the extraordinary stories of ordinary people get an airing. Phew, that's a mouthful. Hello and welcome back into The Airing Cupboard. I hope you've all had a wonderful two weeks. I first want to say a big thank you to all of you who have joined the Erin Cabot group on Facebook. I hope you will enjoy exchanging and communicating with each other on that little platform. That's really why I decided to create it. I'm always amazed when you send me messages or when you send me your stories or when we are in touch with each other, how interesting each one of you is you, the listeners. I feel that you often share some similar traits, a similar substance, and it's really a joy to see this little community grow and take life of its own. So don't hesitate to invite friends, like-minded friends. And I will say this again, this is a non-commercial project. No ads, no Patreon, no money made whatsoever. It is purely for pleasure. Mine, of course, and I hope yours, and also to satisfy our thirst for connection. So if you feel like giving back, I would be amazingly grateful for a review on iTunes or Apple Podcast or whatever app you're using to listen to your podcast. Or if not, just share it. Thank you. So today's story comes to us from Germany. I'm going to call him by his initial, G. He is now 49 and he told me his story through a series of WhatsApp recordings that he did on a rainy day at his little weekend shack near a lake an hour or two away from Berlin. But G isn't German. He is from Argentina. He was brought up and educated in the middle class of Buenos Aires in a family of lawyers I, I never knew what I wanted to to be growing up. I'm originally from Argentina and there wasn't this feeling for young people to to grow up thinking, I'm going to be this or I'm going to do that or I'm going to live my life this way. It was all pretty much um, determined. Um, I think that's the case for a lot of people and certainly um, that's what it felt like for me. I basically grew up in Argentina knowing that I would go to high school and then I would go to university. And when I went to university, it was pretty much decided for me that I would become a lawyer. In my case, I really didn't know what to do. I didn't have a defined vocation. I come from a family of lawyers. And um, I think when my parents knew that that's something I could follow, it was pretty much decided that um, that that's what I would do. I didn't want to be a lawyer. It wasn't in my heart. I, I, I didn't want to. And I had some artistic inclinations, but anything like design or any other things that could have been an option for me were not really considered as viable for my parents. So I gave in and I studied law and I finished in five years, which is the standard with good grades and, and all of that, but I was terribly unhappy. I didn't feel like I was studying something that I really wanted to do, and I always had that 
feeling to this day I still do um, that I was I was forced to do something that I didn't want to and for a significant period of of my life so that was one decision made for me and I I think I've I, I've done what I was expected to do but that wasn't the only thing that I was struggling with um, I was also hugely struggling with um, my sexuality I've I think I pretty much knew I was gay from an early age. Um, but again, um, back then, that's, it, it, it was a shame. It was, it was this big secret. Um, I grew up with you know, lots of people in the 60s, 70s, 80s that I kind of knew they were gay or I suspected. I didn't see as clearly as I do now, but um, it was quite obvious. And these were all fairly unhappy people and there was a lot of shame um back in um yeah back in the 80s 90s if saying gay was pretty much saying that you were either considering being a transvestite or a hugely um effeminate and very over the top and that sort of the the, the typical cliches so there was no um, there was no way I was going to come out. I've, I just thought um, it will pass. You know, I did what a lot of people did, uh, which is try to have girlfriends because I thought, well, if I find the right one for me, it's going to make me forget, uh, or this is just a part of my life that I can um, I can suppress. I finish university, and and that's these two huge things that I was struggling with. Um, my career choice and my sexuality and, and feeling like I wasn't free, I wasn't able to to live my life openly. Uh, the only respite uh, was to travel as far as possible. And so he looked at his map and decided to take a six-month open ticket for New Zealand with a stop on the way back in Australia. That was truly the furthest he could go from home. He arrived in Auckland with very loose plans in December 1995. It's always a little surprising when traveling alone. The first few days, some, sometimes first few weeks, they can be a bit of an anticlimax. Things take a bit of time to sit in their grooves. Like if one needs to rekindle with oneself. And after a few days of exploring Auckland, G found himself on the ferry to Waiheke Island. Waiheke is a small island and it lies in the bay only a, a short hop away from the city now with a fast boat. But at the time, the ferry ride was longer and um, the island wasn't really favoured by the commuters. So there was a very beautiful laid-back feel to the place. Quite a few EPs and alternatives living the good life. Beautiful sandy beaches, little coves. Very few backpackers made it there. So when G arrived at the hostel early afternoon, he wasn't overly surprised to find that he was going to be the only person staying in his dorm. And so he was busying himself, you know, unrolling his sleeping bag and opening his bag, and the door opened. And there, 
came in, a young man, a bit older, late twenties. He smiled, introduced himself and threw his backpack on top of a bunk. He was American, from the Northwest, very at ease with himself. Blue, straight, smiling eyes, one of those big white smiles that invites you in. He was athletically built, but without being very tall. And G noticed on his ankle a black and white tattoo, some sort of circle with a design in its center, simple. And they chatted. The conversation was easy. The American asked G if he might want to come with him to discover the island as they had only just both arrived. They might as well join forces and have a look together. And they had a fantastic time. Everything about the American was attractive to Jean. He was there only for the one night. He was also traveling through New Zealand, mostly with some friends. And he was finishing his trip in Wellington to fly out to Australia on the 31st of January. They talked all afternoon, laughed, connected. And when the evening came, and when they found themselves sitting on a small wooden jetty, overlooking the sea under the flickering stars, the conversation was drawn to dating. Dating girls, of course. He wasn't ready to openly discuss his homosexuality. Shame and secrecy was only too dominant in his heart. And slowly, in the awkward conversation, like unrolling a tangled ball of string. They realized neither of them were interested in girls. And there, sitting on the wood of the jetty, their legs dangling over the water, the distance between them was suddenly filled by thousands of invisible threads of electricity, recognition and attraction until there was distance no more. And I can only imagine the elation of this 22 years old boy, brought up in strict and conservative middle-class Argentina. He was given, for the very first time in his life, a taste of utter freedom, given the chance to be himself at last, free from all masks, all fear of judgment, honest to himself. Just a normal boy falling in love for the very first time in the sweetness of a summer night on a little island in New Zealand, far, far away from home. The night is always short and morning light bled into his happiness. The American was leaving already. He had friends to meet on the mainland. It was already time for goodbyes, having only just found him and having to tear away from him. Addresses were exchanged. Maybe life would allow them to pursue their story. And as the American left on the ferry, G stood there on the docks, watching him disappear out of his life and although his sadness was intense he stood square 
in the knowledge that something had just shifted in his life. Days passed, a bit adrift. First he thought he was nicely in control, but then the void started voicing itself. The want and need suddenly got overwhelming. The need to be together again, not to let the other one go. It was utterly irrational and utterly compelling. And so G made a decision. He knew nothing of the American's travel plans about one thing. He was finishing his trip in Wellington, the capital of New Zealand, 650 kilometers south, on the 31st of January. Today was the 25th. That was leaving him just a few days to maybe, just maybe, find him in Wellington. The chance of it happening was extremely slim, but somehow he felt he just had to go to try and see. It made no sense. He felt compelled. So he took an eight hours bus, non-stop, and he arrived in Wellington. He checked in a central hostel, a huge place facing the railway station and the clock tower. This was before the time of internet and Google, so G collected a large handful of coins and he locked himself in a phone box, scarring through the phone book. He spent the three days he had left before the American was flying out of New Zealand, calling every hostel's B&B in town, asking if they had a reservation for him. Alas, to no avail. The 31st came, and still, nothing. His time had run out. By now, the American was on his way to Australia. He would most likely never see him again. G felt depleted and stupid, maybe a little humiliated. The void was altogether consuming, and he just really wanted to leave. He walked to the train station to buy a ticket, to take him away anywhere. He queued for a while to be told to come back the next day as the ticket office closed for the day, just in front of him. And he walked back to the hostel. He felt lonely. And that is when he met Heidi. Went back to my hotel and I decided to go for a walk. Um, and I come out and there was a lovely lovely girl sitting there. She had a beautiful smile and a blue dress with wide flowers printed like magnolias. She had beautiful little rosy cheeks and she was sitting there, I think she was rolling a cigarette and um, I just need a friend. I just, I literally just needed someone to talk to and she seemed like that person. I think I, I saw her and I decided uh, there and then that she's going to be my friend. So um, that's what I did. I, I, I sat down by her side and we still laugh at this joke because we were literally sitting under a huge dial and it was like a clock, like a clock tower, which you could see for miles. And I didn't know how to talk to her, how to approach her, how to break the ice. So my question was, I sat down next to her and I asked her, um, 
if she knew what time it was. A friendship was born. It was as simple as that. They spent the day together, went for a long walk. She was also traveling on her own, had been for a while. She was from Switzerland. They laughed a lot. They shared their stories. Well, of course, G didn't share everything. And in actual fact, he, he disclosed very little. But he spoke to her about his friend, the American, and how he had tried so hard to force the hands of destiny and find him here in Wellington. Heidi hadn't said anything, but if G had been a little more aware and not so used to hide behind the mask that society imposed, he would have noticed her eyes asking silent questions. That night, he told her he would take her out to a restaurant. Fun. Go and make yourself pretty, he had said. And she had appeared in the very same clothes 30 minutes later. Little dress and a walking boots. He thought maybe she had combed her hair? Not even sure. Was it a Chinese restaurant? He cannot remember. But what he does remember is that on the napkins were some fortune cookies. He had broken his and out had come a little piece of paper that read. It is a journey, not a destination. Enjoy the ride. Heidi still has it. It's glued in a journal. As they arrived back at the hostel, they thought it was too early to end a good night. So they sat on the sofas in the lobby, chatting the night away. It was good to be with Heidi. Somehow, the void wasn't as hopeless anymore. And as they are there happily chatting, the door of the lobby suddenly opens. And Heidi, with her back to the door, is watching Jean. He is slowly standing up, his face in complete disbelief, gradually turning into the biggest of smiles. Heidi turns back, and there in the doorframe, a man is standing, looking right at G. He has straight blue eyes, an athletic belt not too tall, and a small tattoo on his ankle. And as she watches them both look at each other, she understands all. What an extraordinary reunion. The American had delayed his flight by just a few days. They all spoke long into the night. G took a photograph that sealed the moment. The American and Heidi, sitting next to each other, beaming. And although both of them had only been in his life for a very short time, they had appeared in a time of revolution, shift, and he knew they both would inhabit the landscape of his future. G spent a fantastic few days with the American, exploring Wellington. And then the time came to say goodbye again. Heidi went south, the American caught his flight to Australia, and G carried on with his trip. Of course it was difficult to say goodbye, but his cup was full to the brim. 
Months passed and G's trip in New Zealand came to its end. They had managed to see Heidi again. They both knew they would stay in touch. Wellington was only the beginning of their story. And G flew to Australia to carry on with his um, backpacking holiday. He still had a few months left. And he arrived in Sydney, where he had friends. He found himself a little job and a place to crash in Coochie Beach. Sydney was amazing and vibrant. And it was at the end of a difficult day, where nothing had worked out as expected. G was feeling a little low, maybe a little lonely too. And so he decided to go for a walk at the beach to clear his head. And all along the beach was this beautiful promenade where people were just strolling in the evening light. Dog walkers, joggers, mothers with their pram, lovers hand in hand. And that evening, it was particularly busy. And that is when it happened. 50, maybe 100 meters ahead, a silhouette catches his attention. The way the man moves, and Jean increases his space a little, gaining a little ground with each step. And now he sees better his haircut, his neck, his shoulder maybe. And G increases the pace again, almost running now, cutting his way through the crowd, dodging but never losing sight of the elusive man walking ahead. And when he is only a few meters away, G sees his ankle, a black and white tattoo, some sort of circle with a design in its center. Simple. So they spent quite a lot of time with one another from that point. Life had brought them together three times. They weren't going to lose the moment this time. They travel right to the north of Australia and they had the most wonderful time. And now I need to fast forward. 24 years later, G and the American are still friends and in touch with each other. The American is now married in Seattle and he is still very much part of his life as friends. As for Heidi, of course he saw her again. No oceans could have kept those two apart. And one day in London, where they were often catching up, sitting in a pub, G puts a small white box on the table in front of Heidi. She heaves herself forward, a big pregnant belly, a little in the way. It's for the baby, say G. And she opens the box. In the tissue paper lies a fur toy rabbit. What shall we call it? she asked. Wellington, he replied. This rabbit happened to be the very favorite teddy bear of the boy. Wellington, and the child never knew what was behind the name. That's my story, story of coincidence, story of coming out, story of finding yourself, a story of 
not being able to believe what's happening to you, but above all, a story of friendships and and, and friendships that are life defining and and and, and life life lasting. Um, so that's it, my story. Et voilà. I hope you have enjoyed G's story. It hasn't been the easiest one for me to tell for many different reasons, but it has been an amazing journey to work on it. I thank him a million for interesting me to voice his story and to allow me to use his gorgeous voice. And I have also happened to see his face and meet him once. And I can say, it isn't just his voice that is gorgeous. He is probably one of the best looking men I have ever met. So here you go. I wish you all a very good two weeks and until we meet again in the airing cupboard. Goodbye.